everything before Denali was like a glorified hike. And Denali was the first full-on mountaineering expedition. And it was minus 40 degrees. And so many of the individuals didn't do well. Although they were physically stronger than I was, the, they dropped out because they didn't have the mental fortitude to handle the adversity. Welcome to Backseat Driver, the podcast hosted by two practicing psychotherapists, where we boil down years of experience with clients young and old to teach you how to do the what to do to improve your life and relationships. I'm Mark Yamada, clinical psychologist in Seattle. And I'm Nikki Bennett, licensed clinical social worker in Salt Lake City. Martin, thank you for being with us today. This is the first for me to meet a world record holder. Nikki, have you ever met a world record holder before meeting Martin today? I don't think I have. No, I remember being a kid and wanting to be a world record holder, but I just don't think I have that kind of grit and tenacity. <laughs> yeah. Well, Martin, I'm, I'm so curious about your life of adventure. How did you get started in a life of adventure that eventually led you to be the first person in the world to achieve this? Well, I think the my, the first adventure I can remember is climbing the tree in my backyard. I remember first being too young to do anything more than hang from the lowest branch and then slowly was able to get my leg over it to pull myself up and then climb up the tree. Uh, from there, one day I got my, the wind was blowing and I got my foot wedged into the fork of the tree so I wouldn't, um, I'd have more stability but I couldn't get my foot unstuck. And so I had to hold on with one hand, untie my shoe, pull my foot out, wiggle my sneaker loose, put it back on all with one hand. And I learned to trust my grip over my fear of falling. And that was a great uh, sense of self-efficacy for me as I have gone on and, and done some other challenges since then. How did that eventually develop into mountain climbing? Well, I, I grew up near the ocean. I learned to sail as a young boy, and that was also very defining. But I also joined scouts, and we started climbing the presidential range on the East Coast and Mount Katahdin and a bunch of other things. And then um, when I moved to Utah after a career in Silicon Valley, I was like, what do we people do here? And my friends said, we go play in the mountains. And I'm like, oh, okay. How do you do that? And I didn't really know how to, you know, I just certainly didn't feel comfortable in the mountains and I needed to rely on them. But as they introduced me to rock climbing and mountaineering and ice climbing, all those sorts of things, I developed the skills uh, for mountaineering and was able then to just keep looking for bigger mountains to climb. So one thing led to another. And that ended up with your first of the seven peaks, Kilimanjaro. Right, right, exactly. I hadn't, I didn't have a plan back then. We'd just gone on safari and uh, I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to do this? And so uh, I climbed Kilimanjaro without any other, you know, idea or plan. It just happened. And then um, my buddy and I, Steve Gasser, as we climbed, here and played around in the Wasatch, we thought, hey, I wonder if we could take on Denali in Alaska. And that was the most growing 
transformational experience I could have hoped for because everything before Denali was like a glorified hike. And Denali was the first full-on mountaineering expedition. And it was minus 40 degrees. And so many of the individuals um, didn't do well. Although they were physically stronger than I was, the, they dropped out because they didn't have the mental fortitude to handle the adversity. The, the 40 degree below zero weather, the altitude, the hardship of hauling a 50 pound pack and a 40 pound sled up to 14,000 feet, all those sorts of things. When you talk about mental fortitude, what are some things that you noticed in the others, the bigger, stronger climbers, that you could tell that their mental toughness started to slip? What were some of the factors that you saw? You know, it's was very revealing because they initially were priding themselves on how strong they were. And these guys could uh, uh, outrun me or outlift. We had to build these ice walls to protect the tents from the wind. And I was, I was hurting. But what I noticed is that their ability to manage anxiety was not as strong. They would start to try to force their way or muscle their way through the challenge rather than allowing the process to unfold and adapting to the situation. They, um, some were New York firefighters and they were used to, you know, climbing very uh, strong. One guy had run 11 marathons. My but he, he was forcing it. <clears throat> and by not allowing him the opportunity to find this flow with the mountain and allow um, the whole process to unfold in a very relaxed, calm demeanor uh, and stay centered, they, uh, that anxiety built up to the point where it then affected them physically and they deteriorated uh, along the way. Would, would this show up as complaining? They would question the weather or they might feel like they don't have the right gear or the situation wasn't right. And so you see this stress and anxiety start to um, expand and, and sort of get out of control and their ability to... Um, mitigate that anxiety didn't they just didn't have a process for it where I sort of was allowing myself to take this all in stride and realized it was a game of efficiency and not a game of strength then that enabled me I think to be more successful the other thing that I applied was a process of daily recovery and renewal and that I could kind of recenter myself and start each day fresh, where they were sort of bringing yesterday's frustrations and anxiety with them into the next day. So as we faced um, whiteout conditions and we were stuck at 14,000 feet due to storms, and then at 17,000 feet for, for um, six days, we were shut in. All of that contributed to this inability to manage the situation effectively 
And as a result, uh, my buddy Steve and I were the only ones to make it to the summit. You know, as you're describing this, the understanding that I get from this, your experience is that regardless of the size and the strength of the other climbers, and many of them were much stronger, like you said, than yourself, where the difference really became noticeable was, was two factors there that you're describing. And one is that their anxiety began to show up in that they started to externalize and overly focus on the circumstances rather than, like you said, staying centered in yourself. And second, that magnified because each day of circumstances that they may have negatively overfocused on began to compound and become added on and carried on into the next day. So they're actually beginning the next day or the next leg of the journey or the next day of our lives already somewhat down where you go through some process of saying yesterday was yesterday. I'm focused on today. What do we need to do? Okay, here, let's go. Is that what is that the message that you're you, you have found from these uh, hardship experiences? That's right, and and that that process is applies to all areas of our life. But it's when we are under those extreme stressful conditions that we have to then have that fully uh, exercised or practiced so that we can more effectively deal with the situation at hand. Mm -hmm. I think as trite as it sounds that our struggles are our greatest strengths, I, as I'm hearing you say this, I'm reminded of a time where I called Mark, I think I, I called you and I called my coach from campus up at the EO in tears and said, I can't do this. I can't become a therapist. Look at me. I have the worst anxiety in the world. And I remember what John McConnell, my coach said, was that, Nikki, you're going to be great at this, not in spite of your challenges, but because of those. And he told me this story about, you know, saving all of his money up to go and train with who he considered to be the best climber in the entire world. It was this woman who lived in Italy. And he said, what I discovered when I got there was that she was an incredible climber and a lousy teacher because she just was born climbing. She didn't have to learn to struggle so that she could help somebody that wasn't innately wired that way. And that's kind of what I'm thinking about as I hear your story, Martin, that you have this grit and tenacity from your struggle, struggles, and that's what's made you have the fortitude to continue when others don't. I think that's it. And it's not that I have, you know, this super strength or power to do this. I just was able to figure out this mental game better and perhaps than my teammates. And it is applied in all aspects. In fact, it is the key ingredient that enabled me to go on and climb the seven summits and sail the seven seas and, and take those challenges on as well. That grit and tenacity is really a learnable skill. What, 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 what would you tell folks who have doubts about themselves, who may be watchers of life, but not necessarily fully participating in because they're afraid that they may not be able to do it? Or what are some of the 
common fears that you have come across that others have that often have them looking back on their lives as many things and opportunities that they could have, but missed? Well, the first thing I would answer about fear in general is that we can treat fear the same way we treat hunger. The Alex Hanal, the climber who just summited Half Dome uh, without any safety ropes, or not Half Dome, but El Capitan, he said, you know, fear is, we can manage fear. It doesn't go away. We acknowledge that it's there. But just the way we say, I'm hungry, but I'm going to wait till dinner time to have dinner, we say the same thing about fear. We put it aside and acknowledge it, accept it, but at the same time, we don't let it consume us. And we use our prefrontal cortex or our executive brain to put it in its proper place. Um, so much of fear is our perception of what that means. And so, you know, Viktor Frankl said that between, um, uh, um, between stimulus and response, there is this space. And in this space lies, you know, our perception and our ability to properly perceive the world in a way that works to our advantage. Are we optimistic or are we pessimistic? Do we see the world working for us or against us? All of that happens in that little space. And as we learn to more appropriately match our um, our physiological response to the circumstances, we are to, can do a much better job of conquering our world and, and turning adversity into opportunity. You know, that reminds me of one of the things that Nikki and I often have discussed and we use with many clients is this very thing you're talking about where human beings, we, we have emotions and feelings. And that is like our default operating system. We figure things out. We uh, act based on our feelings. But we also have a higher level way of operating, and that's using knowledge or intellect or reasoning. And it is often very difficult to teach somebody that knowledge and reasoning and intellect can be trained to override uh, emotions and feelings, in this case, such as fear, that we can train ourselves that, yes, you might feel afraid, but your knowledge can guide you to tell you, but you could actually do this, and here's how. And as you're describing, I get this impression, and perhaps you can further uh, elucidate this, Martin, that when you're climbing, the knowledge aspect, part of it may be, okay, just one step after the next. Don't worry about some of the other things to consume your mind and stay focused and don't let your fears hijack your reasoning. That's right. Aristotle was uh, famous for saying that we need to apply all our rational thinking to our path to well-being. And that by doing so, we can 
um, more effectively um, apply resources or interventions to, or call them hacks, if you will, that enable us to be successful in life. And so we try to do this, but when we're stuck in our limbic system, our kind of reptilian brain, which often triggers that fight, flight, or freeze response, that emotionally driven response to circumstances, um, we oftentimes don't use that higher level thinking that could help us of either avoid the problem or work through it in a way that's much more efficient than perhaps what our emotional response would take us through. And so that is a big part of how we both um, work through challenges or fears or perceptions that maybe we can't do something. Self-efficacy is the belief that we can manifest our destiny, that we can architect our future and get where we want to go. Self-determination is the skill set to figure out how to get there. And then re um, resilience is the, is the, what do we do? It's the course correction. What do we do after we face the storm and we got knocked off course and we have to figure out how to pick ourselves up and get back on track? All of those three things come with that higher level thinking. And we build those into our life through experience, through embracing adventure. Adventure sometimes has that adversity and that uh, challenge that forces us to grow and learn. And that's what enables, uh, well, in my own life, that's what's enabled me to uh, build those principles of self-efficacy, self-determination, resilience. So there's really this wonderful harmony of knowing and doing. That's right. That, that combining these things that, of course, it's important to know and understand some things, but to truly develop these qualities you're describing, it requires of us to actually do these things that we, we understand and that combination, it, it reminds me of this idea, Nikki, and have you seen this with some of your clients where I sometimes look at depression in these terms, Martin, where many people that struggle with depression that I work with, I notice this pattern that they do really know quite a bit of a lot of things. However, there's this gap that they don't do very much of what they know. And the greater this gap, the greater this dis-ease or this unhappiness. I look at little children and we tend to look at them as, what do they know? Nothing. And what do they do? Nothing. So there's a pretty good match there. <laughs> where, where, where adults, we may know far more than we ever do. And that greater that gap, I find that the greater the uh, you know, dissatisfaction in their lives. Uh, Nikki, have you noticed that in your practice? Absolutely. I have clients tell me all the time too that, you know, I'm so frustrated because I know this and, and they'll get committed in a session and then they leave and 
they come back and it's like, well, I didn't do anything we talked about. I didn't do anything different. And like you said, the depression level goes up. I think the shame goes up. I think all of it, all of it goes up, whatever we resist persists. And the more we resist it, the more we're really holding on to it. So I've said this before, but what I try to, to help instill in them is, is getting clear on what their why is. They have to want the end result more than they want to be comfortable right now, which Martin, I hear you saying, I mean, I think about climbing seven summits and sailing seven seas, you had to have been uncomfortable for a lot of your journey, probably most of it, but you wanted something at the end of that more than you wanted to be comfortable. What was that for you? Well, I think I knew what my purpose was. And so I had to constantly remind myself why uh, I was doing it. Um, and my ability to um, deal with ambiguity and the uncomfortableness, you know, as we face that gap between our desired expectations and our reality, um, we can either uh, I think that's a cause of a lot of anxiety in people's lives. Um, but it's not so much that the gap exists. It's whether we believe we can close the gap. And as people realize that they can make progress, um, they feel so much more in control of their lives. Now, as you mentioned, people don't know how to jumpstart this. They kind of intellectually know, but they can't seem to apply it. And my thought there is that they have to make space um, to reprioritize their life around whatever the new behavior or the new intervention is that's going to lead towards greater well being. Um, when a monk uh, tries to uh, go into a monastery, they cloister themselves, meaning they remove so many of the other clutter in life, the worldly trappings that lock us into habits and routines. They even cut themselves off from uh, communicating with others in order to focus on their singular goal of having a, a transcendent experience. So so often, I think people always try to add one more thing to what's already on their plate, and they find it's tough to um, build those new habits or that new lifestyle to, to bring well-being or greater well-being. I could see how busyness could become the focus of somebody's life and not even be aware that they are actually hiding behind that and making it very difficult then to create this simplification and removing the clutter you're talking about. How, how do you help somebody let go and declutter so that they can actually really see and understand and be in a much better position to take those steps? Martin, you must come across that quite frequently. <laughs> well, I find it difficult and a personal challenge. I um, did have to say no to a lot of things as I pursued my adventures. And um, I find that it is hard to let go. We cherish those relationships or those activities that bring meaning 
And we have to constantly go through phases of our life where we're reprioritizing and letting go of past um, emotional anchors in order to embrace something new and that will take us to a, a higher um, level of being. And that's what adventure is. It's this idea that I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone and that I'm going to embrace the new in, in spite of the fact that there's uncertainty and risk and possibility of failure. And I'm going to leave that safe space behind. You know, a safe harbor is great, but if we stay there too long, um, we get barnacles and we uh, don't know how to um, move forward. We need to cut that anchor chain and, and go out and, and uh, uh, sail. There's a great quote that said, a ship in the harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are meant for. And I think we're meant to voyage out into the world and to try new things and to embrace that growth mindset that comes with adventure. I think that's one of the toughest things that Nikki and I face in the world of psychotherapy and working with clients, particularly with depression or high levels of anxiety. Nikki, what, what are your experiences with someone who really struggles with that kind of anxiety about perfectionism that Martin's talking about, that a person is hanging on so tightly to wanting, needing, thinking they need to do everything and everything perfectly. And therefore they do absolutely remain figuratively safe in the harbor, growing barnacles and not ever sailing beyond uh, into the ocean. You know, it almost seems like you could be talking about this really charming client you worked with several years ago <laughs> named Nikki Bennett. <laughs> um, that was my life was, was living in the safe harbor and I was definitely growing barnacles and the more I tried to make my life certain, the more my world shrunk until I was finally left standing on this little postage stamp and, and not Martin living this life of adventure, which is really what speaks to me is adventure and culture and nature and people. And as a yellow, um, for those of, those of you who have listened to our color code episode, if not, you'll be lost in what I'm talking about. But as a yellow, that's what speaks to me. And yet my worries kept me stuck for so long um, that I, I was just at the end of my rope and I had to get to a point where I wanted, again, what was on the other side of my comfort level more than I wanted certainty. Anxiety is really just about trying to make certain things that really aren't certain. The only three things that are certain in any given moment is where am I, who am I with, and what am I doing? Everything else is uncertain. Everything else is a story. I could have a heart attack and one second and be gone, right? But I know that right now I'm sitting in the basement talking to Mark, Martin and Mark. That's the only thing that's certain. And so I think worry is just this attempt to have control when we really don't. And so true freedom comes from letting go. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. But it's such a frightening experience. Martin, this must connect you to some experiences in working with, with people in, in, the, in the many things that you do. 
does it does it uh, bring to your mind that it experiences a, a particular situation where you're working with somebody and they're kind of stuck there frozen and it, I don't know if it even seems like it's a little bit of a tug of war where you're trying to guide and encourage and you can see their grip on whatever they're holding on to get tighter and tighter. How do you gently wait them out or encourage them that it's really okay and they really can and they really would need to to overcome this, that they can't just think your way through this that they have to also do their way through. Well, I think the corporate world is full of um, people who are <clears throat> sort of trapped in a routine. That routine may have lots of accomplishment in it and, and lots of um, uh, daily um, affirmation in the sense that they're busy, they're uh, life is full, they're taking maybe taking care of kids and all of that. Um, and then sometimes there's a transition. Let's say they become empty nesters or they find that uh, they hit a, a burnout or something. And they realize that they haven't been pursuing things of a higher meaning and that they've been so busy that they are stuck in essence, then meaning that they're not pursuing a path of, of fulfillment and achievement for intrinsic motivative reasons, that they are um, too, um, uh, too much following somebody else's game plan. And so I like to encourage people to try to think about what they could do to be the hero in their own journey and how could they step out and become a stronger, um, uh, more decisive uh, player in planning and mapping out their future and where they'd want to go and then reprioritizing things to enable that to happen. I think a lot of people have much more control over that than they realize and they feel that they're supposed to be busy all the time and they don't always allow that free space in to um, embrace the new uh, experiences. Mm -hmm. Where I can see how you could run into many folks who don't even realize that uh, the thing they fear the most is actually the thing that they worship or attend to the most, such as I remember working once with an executive from a, a very high level international company. And this person eventually came to realize that the thing that was feared the most was I'm so scared and worried that I'm not going to be enough. And the way that this person dealt with that fear was this pursuit of having to rise up and accomplish each rung of the corporate ladder with its accompanying titles and accolades and also the money that came with that and came to really realize that he had climbed quite high and very successful in that regard, 
but when he came to me, it was because of his saddest moments that his children had grown up, that he had never really known them, and they had never really known him, and that they had dispersed and he was left alone. And that's what actually eventually Martin brought him in to see me. But by then it was quite late in the game for him to realize that he had missed the point of having a family and, and realized that life was to be enjoyed, not just endured. But he came to that realization quite late in life. I imagine you run into a lot of people who come to these realizations going, oh my gosh, what path have I been on? How do you encourage people that it's never too late, that they can make a change and there's always something that they can learn and do? Well, I, I, I certainly agree it's never too late. We have opportunity to uh, always start fresh each and every day and say, this is the first day of the rest of my life. And to uh, find that freedom that Nikki was talking about, that's really what the seven summits and seven seas have enabled me is this freedom to have the confidence or self-efficacy that I can go anywhere I want in life, whether that's learn to play the violin or sail around the world, it, it's, it represents this empowerment to go places. And sometimes people who are stuck on the hamster wheel of a rat race and just constantly churning around, meaning they're very busy, but they're not um, finding the traction in life and the sense of accomplishment. Um, the other thing is we obviously have to ensure that we're continually balancing or rebalancing our priorities across what I'll call positive emotions and um, engagement in various uh, things that we do in relationships, in finding meaning and purpose in our lives and accomplishment. And if things or one thing gets way out of whack, such as your client where accomplishment got way out of whack above relationships, and he needed to constantly, or if he had constantly rebalanced the, across those uh, five areas, he would have done a much better job of finding meaning and purpose uh, in his life and, and build his life satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Martin, that brings some questions to my mind. Um, you mentioned adventure as one of your whys and kind of that freedom. Was there anything else that had you say yes to this huge undertaking? Well, I, I am personally passionate about um, inspiring others to uh, achieve their summits in life. I am focused now in my life at a point where it's not about what I accomplish. It's about how I can strengthen and, and, and hopefully inspire others. I find that... Um, Working with young men in particular is a, is a joy to um, mentor them and help them on their path. Um, so often they get trapped in uh, instant gratification that comes through personal technology and screen time. And I'd love to see them uh, stretch out a little more and engage on 
deferred gratification and um, and then that idea of becoming the hero in their own journey. I love that. Were, were there times when you got out of whack? I love that you talked about that because I think this had to have taken an extreme amount of focus to plan and prepare, prepare for. So I'm wondering, did you ever get out of whack and how did you deal with kind of judgments from others? Because I can just hear if I decided to do something like this, people saying, are you kidding me? You're a mom and you have this and this and this. And I know you're a family guy as well. So those are my questions is how did you handle the judgment from others? And did you get out of whack at times? You know, I remember telling my uh, extended family that we were going to sail around the world. And my uncle just thought I was absolutely nuts. And he says, you know, what about your career? What about everything? Um, you're going to try to take your disabled daughter with you and sail through the South Pacific. And, you know, all those just seemed like wacky ideas. And uh, yes, I did have to redesign um, my adventure to accommodate my family as we sailed through the South Pacific, but it ended up being such a richer experience because that was my, my team and I was able to share that great adventure with them. Um, and so we, we go through different phases and chapters in our lives and each one brings something new and is the opportunity for us to um, build our future in a way that um, brings that inner core satisfaction to our lives. I love that. I, it reminds me of the oxygen mask metaphor that we have to take care of ourselves in order to really be there for other people. And so many of my clients, when I start working with them, they feel guilty for taking time for self-care, for giving themselves compassion for all those things. How did your family grow stronger as a result of these things that you took on, these huge things? My wife um, was afraid of the water when we started. Um, she um, did not like the ocean. She wasn't comfortable in it. And to sail 8,000 miles to Australia just seemed um, daunting and beyond her. In fact, her brother even drowned in a a youth activity. And so <clears throat> she had to step outside of her comfort zone and trust me and that I would enable this experience to be close enough to her capabilities and not exceed that threshold in a way that she could thrive or, or have a positive experience. I, fortunately, we all worked out just along those ways. And as she learned to snorkel and scuba dive and build her comfort level swimming with manta rays and humpback whales, um, her, her sense of thriving on this adventure just went through the roof. We have a photo of a whale breaching within five feet of her coming right out of the water. And we actually ca caught it on camera. And it's this great visual testament to how you can overcome your fear and find the freedom uh, through adventure if you're willing to um, break free of some of the shackles that hold us back. Wow, that gives me goosebumps. So it sounds like your family went with you on some of these adventures. 
Absolutely. We tried as best we could to uh, make it. They obviously didn't climb Everest, but um, we kept them engaged. My wife, Kim, came to Everest Base Camp with us. And, um, you know, we tried to include them uh, on the sailing adventure as much as we could. Very cool. How cool. This is really neat, Martin. I'm reminded of something that you have often uh, encouraged and told people is that we really are capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. And if you push yourself beyond that, you can redefine who you want to become and what you can achieve. And our lives become and can become more of what you would like to do and be rather than focused on what you think or fear you have to do be. And then one thing that you also mentioned, and perhaps you can comment on it a little bit more, was it, it sounded like you were talking about uh, that, that adventure teaches you skills that entertainment doesn't and that you don't really grow from entertainment, which is a lot of what we end up filling our lives with, the, the type of things that potentially could end up becoming what we now look back on as clutter or busyness. But you don't really grow unless you push or test yourself. Can you share with our listeners more about this idea of entertainment doesn't necessarily lead you to grow and thrive. Sure. I, I view entertainment as something that we all enjoy. Um, but entertainment, if you think about it, might, might be fun. And you might build friendships from it because you're doing it with other people. But <clears throat> adventure, on the other hand, isn't danger. Adventure falls in between entertainment and danger. And with adventure, you learn <clears throat> a whole lot more. You, it is fun. It might be type two fun, meaning you may not um, love it or it may not be fun until you get to your summit or your, over your challenge. But adventure teaches you decision-making. It teaches you problem-solving. It teaches you how to manage risk. It teaches you how to have deferred uh, gratification. It teaches you all these various skills that entertainment doesn't. And oh, by the way, you make friends along the way. And so I encourage people to really think about choosing adventure and over entertainment whenever possible. And that from that, they then grow. The mountains have have taught me that I can achieve so much more than I ever thought possible. And the oceans have taught me that I can navigate my way through life and that I can make good decisions to achieve my outcome, regardless of which way the wind is blowing and that I can endure the storms along the way. All of that has come through this idea of choosing adventure. Yes, there's adversity, and there may even be suffering as we go through that process. But <clears throat> on the other side 
is a greater sense of self and a greater freedom. And so if you're thinking about starting your adventure, then think about choosing something that's not too hard that it defeats you. And it's not too easy that it's boring, that it is just outside your comfort zone. And by stepping up to that and rising to the occasion, you will have that moment of awe that you achieve that and you that sense of growth and that new sense of empowerment that'll lead you on to bigger summits in your future. With all of the experiences that you have had, are there some that stick out as so prominent and life-altering for you that you continue to come back to those particular moments? I think my experience on Denali is one of those truly defining moments of my life. It is where I all of a sudden figured out how to um, play the mental game, where I became master of my fate and able to um, manage my emotions and my fears and all the um, limbic, you know, that fight, flight, or freeze response in a way that I could um, affect my outcome and, and create um, a path to, to where I wanted to go in spite of it being extremely hard. And that really changed my life. And I'm so grateful that I put myself in that position to grow in that way. And I'm so grateful for the outcome that came out of that. Mm -hmm. And so as we get back to this question that listeners that we asked you earlier, is adversity an affliction or could it be an investment? And as we have listened with Martin Fry today about his adventures and how he can empower you to summit your own peaks, whether your own personal storms. Martin, if you could recap for our listeners what you hold as the key ingredients of self-empowerment to face and overcome fears, seek for personal growth and development, and be, as you said, the master of your own destiny, what are these, these essential ingredients? Well, I think the key ingredient is to um, embrace the adventure mindset, that willingness to step outside your comfort zone, take on a new experience or a new challenge in life, even though you may fail or you may not succeed, and to have that be a empowering experience uh, for you. We all are human. We love habit and routine and certainty and security. Those are core drivers within us. But by exercising our faith in ourselves to um, take on the, the, um, the path least traveled, the opportunity to try new things, 
and grow in those ways, we find a greater um, reward than if we stay in the status quo. You know, something that we didn't mention is that Martin is a fantastic motivational speaker. So the next time that you're looking for a one-of-a-kind speaker who captivates and inspires audiences to take your life to a higher level, we got to say that he's your guy. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Mark. It's been wonderful to join you this morning. And Nikki, um, thank you so much for your podcast and for reaching out this way to strengthen and empower others to... Um, achieve uh, a greater sense of themselves and to uh, thrive in their lives. So happy to have you here. I'm, I'm leaving feeling very inspired and also curious as to what, uh, what, I, what mountain I want to take on in 2021. <laughs> not, or what adventure, not literally. Yeah, yeah, or what adventure that I want to have. Yeah, I'll leave this one final thought with you. We all have an Everest to climb. Some are tangible, they're visible and the world can see them and give you lots of accolades when you make them. Others have invisible mountains inside them that they have to climb, whether that's emotional or health related or other challenges relationship wise. Sometimes those are the hardest because we're fighting that battle alone and to reach out and gain the support of others is something I encourage as we take on those invisible mountains. But good luck on to all of us as we embrace that Everest and continue to climb forward in life. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yes, thank you. Martin, how would people find out more about uh, you and your organization and how to get in touch with you? Well, if they're interested in me as a public speaker, uh, you can go to 7summits7cs.org and um, contact me through that. And if you're interested in our youth programs, uh, you can go to summitjourneys.org. Well, Martin, thank you. What a pleasure it's been. I agree. Well, thank you, Mark and Nikki. I appreciate uh, all that you do as well. And that's it for another Backseat Driver. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it with a friend. We'd really appreciate it if you'd take a minute to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 